We're going to uh, read God's word together in the New Testament. In Hebrews in chapter 12. Hebrews and chapter 12, and we'll read from the beginning, and we'll read down to verse 17. Hebrews chapter 12, and from the beginning, let's hear the word of God. Therefore, and that's pointing back to everything that's happened in chapter 11, where there's this list of Heroes of the faith, if you like, different uh, individuals, men and women, who were uh, written down for their faithfulness to God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are all, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us as we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards. 
when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Amen. That says the word of God. We're going to sing, and before we come to consider some of these verses, sing again in Psalm 25 in the Scottish Psalter, it's on page 231, the first version of Psalm 25. And we'll sing from verse 1 to verse 7. To thee I lift my soul, O Lord, I trust in thee, my God. Let me not be ashamed, nor foes triumph over me. Psalm 25, from verse 1 to 7, to God's praise.
while seeking uh, God's help. Let's uh, turn back to Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, we're going to focus on verse 2 today, uh, but let's uh, just read from the beginning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Your eyes are amazing. Inside uh, every one of our eyes, so I'm told, there are two million working parts. Your eyes will focus on about 50 things per second. And so as the preacher is seeking your attention for around about 20 minutes, that fact doesn't bode very well for me. But as I break this down for you further, it's going to make me feel even less hopeful. Because if we focus on 50 objects a second, then it adds up to potentially 3,000 a minute, 180,000 an hour, and 4.3 million a day. That's a lot of things that can distract you. Yet here in Hebrews chapter 12, we're being instructed and commanded to focus on only one person all of the time, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one person that we are to be focusing on. I know uh, many of you, as you sit here at the table Many of you have Jesus as your focus this morning, but there are perhaps a few of us whose eyes are still wandering and still being distracted by all those other things. For our time this morning with God's help, I want us to look to Jesus and I want us to very obviously remember the cross. Let's try and remove these distractions and fix our eyes on Jesus. Just uh, last month in January, uh, myself and a few other colleagues, we were in Edinburgh uh, for some of our training that we have as ministers. And one of the talks was done by uh, one of my colleagues not too far from here, And he gave us an exercise to do in this seminar. And he asked us all, as ministers, to write down one thing. And it wasn't allowed to be about church or our faith. So write down one thing that has excited you in the past week. And one thing that has frustrated you. And so all these ministers round in this circle are trying to think of what has excited them and what has frustrated them in the past seven days. So taking a moment to think about it, they then uh, all write something down and we shared it uh, with the whole group. 
And so the purpose of this uh, exercise, which uh, you can do yourself later this afternoon, is to highlight what is dominating our time and emotions day in and day out. And the answers that we gave, they revealed what we were passionate about. Whether it's our football team that's winning or losing, a child passing an exam or being disobedient, for some a tractor that just got a new lick of paint or the lambs that sold for a poor, poor price. Whatever it was, relatively trivial or meaningful, it revealed at least part of what we are being consumed by. None of us have ever seen Jesus physically with our eyes. However, we look to Jesus. Let me pose it as a question to you. First of all, how do you look to Jesus? How does the Christian sitting at the table look to Jesus? How do you? How can any of us? Well, there's various answers I'm sure we could give to that. But we look to Jesus in his word, in the word of God, by reading our Bibles, by praying to our God, by praying to him, by thinking about who he is and what he has done, by coming here, by coming to worship him in the house of God, listening to the preached word. My great desire is that you will have been able to see Jesus today as you've come to church. And yet how many of us, Christian, in this past week have been excited doing any of these activities in how we look to Jesus? How many of us have been passionate about these things? How much time have we given to them? How passionate are we about Jesus in comparison to our sports, sheep, or shopping? Three times in the opening uh, two verses, we have three actions in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. The actions of let us lay aside, let us run, and let us look to Jesus. So we're to lay aside, we're to throw off that which hinders us, that which is not helping us, and certainly that which is hurting us spiritually. And we're to run, we're to keep on running. This is the Christian race, this is life. And you can generalise it if you want, and all of us in one sense are running this race. We are running through the race of life. And here, the Christian is being exhorted to keep on running, one foot in front of the other. I used to have this notice in, in my study uh, at one point that said, you will not be able to keep going, but you will be kept going. And the Christian is certainly kept going as they keep on running. And the third action be looking to Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, you'll not be able to turn from your sin unless you're looking to Jesus. 
You'll not be able to keep on running unless you are looking to Jesus. So the first thing we need to do before we sort ourselves out, before we came to Jesus with sorting all of our sins we must first of all come to Jesus and look and lock our eyes upon him he is to be our focus our inspiration and our example and the Greek word for uh, looking that's found here is much fuller than we can express in English it has a, a preposition in it which turns the look away from everything else. And so even as we're running this race as Christians, as you come to another communion, be a reminder of this, that this is something we must keep on doing. This looking to Jesus is a looking away from everything else. All of the 50 to 4.2 or 3 million other things that are distracting you. And keep Looking definitely and only in the direction of Jesus. Some of you will know of the preacher Charles Spurgeon. He tells of how he became a Christian. He says, There was a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was making my way to a specific church. I turned down a side street and decided just to go into the nearest one. The usual preacher was snowed in, so one of the congregation went up to preach. He took his text from Isaiah, which said, Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Then the preacher, Spurgeon says, looked at me under the gallery. And with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. And just fixing his eyes on me and lifting up his hands, he shouted, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. Spurgeon says, I saw in that moment... The way to be saved through Jesus. So we must keep uh, looking to Jesus. And then we have this description of Jesus, that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Uh, this is the only time the word uh, perfecter is used in the Bible. And it means literally completer. Uh, this word for perfecter, and it means completer and finisher. It speaks of bringing something to its conclusion. And as you put these two words together, both the author and the perfecter, we see that Jesus, as God, he both creates and he continues our faith. Now, we know that Saving faith is a gift from God. It's not something that we've just mustered up ourselves. That we've just decided, yes, I'll sit at the Lord's table. No, we know faith that these people have has been given to them by God. He is the author, but he's also the sustainer. 
of our faith, meaning a true saving faith, you Christian cannot be lost. Your faith cannot be taken away and it cannot be given away. And the sermons over this weekend have perhaps had a focus until this point on that on how the Christian, that message to the Israelites, is to return, to repent, to come back to your God. And no matter how much we have slid or are sliding, you cannot be lost. And ultimately, as we've seen, the love of God, it will chase after you and bring you back. Ultimately, you can have confidence as you run through this life looking to Jesus. And he will not let you down. He will not leave your side. The words of Paul to the New Testament church in Philippi, they come to mind. For he who began a good work in you will bring it on to completion. We can so often be hard on ourselves, feel we're not worthy, not good enough. We can doubt, we can doubt our standing as a Christian. But if you're truly looking to Jesus and what he has done for you, then you do not need to be afraid because he is always with you. David Guzik is a preacher and commentator I quite often turn to. And he said, One may say that Jesus is with us at the starting line and the finishing line and all along the way of the race that he sets before us. It reminded me of uh, our responsibility that uh, my wife Ailey had during my uh, when I ran uh, my first marathon a, few, a year or two ago, I uh, told her that I was going to use her as this illustration this week. Uh, my wife Ailey is wonderful, but uh, using her as an illustration of Jesus, I admit, is a flawed example. However, during that run, Ailey was there at the very beginning as I set off on the run and several times in the middle as she had to pass me water and uh, different supplements to sustain me and then finally at the end when I crossed over the finish line. But you know, Jesus is with you, Christian, in a far greater way as you run through the marathon of this life he was there as you set off on the journey and sat at the Lord's table for the first time. He is with you right now, whether the going is good or really tough. And he will be there when you cross over that finishing line as your eyes remain fixed upon Jesus. What do we see when though when we look at Jesus it's important that we don't just say phrases or words but explain them well we could picture uh, so many different aspects of uh, the life and ministry 
of Jesus from the Bible. His arrival and his birth into the world, the baptism in the river, the temptation in the wilderness, the healings, miracles, preaching, the persecution, Gethsemane or Calvary, his resurrection, his intercession or his ascension. We sang them at the beginning of our service today in Psalm 27. And the last verse we sang said, One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David, the songwriter, has one request here in this psalm, to be in the presence of to be in the house of the Lord. In other words, not to be distracted by the hundreds of other things that this world can offer, but in the church, not just physically, but to be with and to be part of God's people. To be in the church where he can both give and receive. See, when David would go to the temple, he would be reminded very visually with his eyes. He'd be reminded very visually with his eyes of who God is. Because as he walked into the temple, what he is doing, he will see who God is, what God is doing, and what God would yet do. Because in the temple, he would see that there is a sacrifice been offered, a sacrifice been offered for sin, but it is only and it only ever was a pointer to that ultimate sacrifice that would pay for and cover over all of our sin who believe and are looking to Jesus. Dale Ralph Davis uh, wrote, as the sacrificial blood is shed, one sees the beauty of the Lord in that here I see clearly that he deals with my guilt. There is an altar of sacrifice where blood is shed, where life can be substituted for my life. David can see there, even with the animals that are being sacrificed in the temple, David can see the beauty of the Lord because he sees an altar where guilt is paid for by the blood of a substitute. But we come to Calvary. We don't see an animal on the altar. We don't just see a symbol. We don't just have a pointer. We see our Saviour bound to the four corners of his cross. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness. Jesus' blood was poured out for our sins who believe in him. And who are looking to him. 
What a significant difference between Jesus and all those hundreds of thousands of animals and more that were slain throughout the whole of the Old Testament. The pages of the Old Testament are red with the blood of those animals that were that streamed through the pages. All as pointers to Jesus because not one of those animals went to their to the altar of sacrifice willingly. But Jesus, knowingly, willingly, and lovingly, went on the altar at Calvary so we could be set free. All of the prophecies of the Old Testament now find their fulfilment at Calvary in Jesus Christ. Even all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, 15, there is the mention of Jesus. That as God judges, sets that judgment onto Satan, to the serpent, he says that you will bruise his heel, but he, the offspring of Eve, is going to crush your heads. And it's a pointer to Jesus Christ, who's going to ultimately defeat Satan and sin of those who believe, of those who are looking to Jesus. Isaiah 53. You can find so many throughout uh, the whole of the Old Testament. All these pointers and these uh, pictures that are leading us all the way up to the climax on Calvary's hill. Where Jesus Christ, his blood was poured out for our sins. You know, when we sit together at the Lord's table, by faith, are we not today gazing on the beauty of the Lord? As we hear the word preached, as we handle the elements, of the bread and the wine which both symbolise Jesus' body and spilt blood. In that scene of suffering, do we not see beauty? That one perfectly innocent would die for me, so obviously guilty. Jesus would die so that you could live. That is beautiful. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that um, we would first of all come and set our gaze upon Jesus. That today we would see Jesus. See what he has done, what has been completed at Calvary. As you love this world so much to send him, your son, to save us from our sins. That Jesus went to the cross and he was obedient to you, the Father. And that we can now come as the people of God, 
with our eyes fixed upon your beauty, with our lives now set free from sin, and with us now running this race, longing and looking forward to gazing on the beauty of you, the Lord. So continue with us. Help us in all that we do. Help us as we continue singing, as we uh, come now towards the Lord's table and take of these elements ourselves. Lord, that this would be a true means of grace and strengthening for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing in Psalm 32 in the Sing Psalms. On page 38 of your blue book, Psalm 32, and from verse 1 to 6. How blessed the one, and listen to these words, how blessed the one who has received forgiveness for his sin, whose sins are covered from God's face whose debt is cancelled in God's grace. There's no deceit in him. Let's sing and to God's praise to verse 6.
to uh, the Sunday School who've come in. It's great to have you. <clears throat> We're just uh, about to come to the Lord's table in a few moments after one more singing. Uh, but at this point, let me just uh, speak uh, a little bit more because uh, I've been reading uh, recently and I've been reading uh, each day, each morning, something called the Heidelberg Catechism. So you may know about your Westminster Catechism, very similar, this is just a German uh, catechism. And question 81 was uh, sticking out to me, and the question is this, who is the Lord's Supper for? The answer is for those who are truly sorrowful for their sins, and yet that these are forgiven them for the sake of Christ. And that their remaining infirmities are covered by his passion and death. And to also earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened. And their lives more holy. But hypocrites and such as turn not to God with sincere hearts. Eat and drink judgment to themselves. So let me just break that down into three very short parts. First of all, it's for those who are genuinely sorry for their sin. Not just people who don't like the wrong things that they do from time to time or more often than that. It's not just a desire to be good, but those who know that their sin separates them from God. Secondly, and equally It's for those who know that they are sinners no matter what sins they have or have not committed. Yet they believe that Jesus Christ paid for all of their sin. Jesus paid it all. That's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was in their place. That he died so they could live. So they could be set free from the burden and the guilt. The table is for those who believe that Jesus can and has forgiven all their sin. And thirdly, not least, it is for those who want to grow. There is not a secret formula that you Christians need to discover in order to mature as a believer. It's very simple, and the children may uh, recognize this. Read your Bible, pray every day with a desire to do so, and you will grow, grow, grow. So let me ask you, Christian, let me ask any of you here today, do you know that you are a sinner? Do you know and believe that Jesus has washed away your sins? Do you want to know and love Jesus more and more? Then this table is for you. The writer of Hebrews said in our chapter, Let us throw off sin, let us run the race, and let us be looking to Jesus. Well, if you have done and are doing all these, let me add one more biblical imperative. Let us now come. To the table of the Lord and remember him. 
Well, let's uh, come to the table. Let's sing together in Psalm 118 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 398. It's on page 398. We'll sing from verse 15 to uh, 21, or as much time as needed. But we'll sing these verses at least. In dwellings of the righteous is heard the melody of joy and health, the Lord's right hand doth ever valiantly. Let's sing to the praise of God. Here in our verse in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Don't be uh, mixed up in thinking that the cross was what Jesus found joyful. No, the cross 
was something that Jesus had to endure, albeit chose to endure. That word endure, it literally means to stay behind, to stand firm, to persevere. And it tells us, I think, at least two marks about our Jesus. It tells us, first of all, that he didn't run away. He stayed behind. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the pain and the torture that Jesus was going through, both in his mind and in his body, just thinking about the prospect of coming to the cross. Yet he didn't turn and run away. He prayed and he persevered. He submitted not to his own will, but to the will of the Father. And secondly, he doesn't ask you to do something that he hasn't done himself. He endured the cross. And earlier in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, the Christian is told to persevere, to endure on this race of life. We are running or walking in his footsteps. We are following in his ways. We can and we will endure because he has endured it all and more before us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. And Christian, when perhaps nobody else can relate to what you are going through. Jesus can. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. One of the most uh, prominent elements of the torture of the cross was its extreme shame. Jesus did not welcome the shame. He despised it, yet he endured it through to the victory. Shame is a significant trial we find throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, in Daniel, in chapter 12, it says that shame will be an aspect of the terrors of hell. Multitudes, Daniel says, multitudes sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And Jesus bore this hellish shame to accomplish your redemption. Jesus bore a shameful accusation of blasphemy. Jesus bore the shameful mocking. Jesus bore that shameful beating. Jesus wore that shameful crown and shameful robe all for you who are looking to Jesus and who believe in him. He did it for you if you have turned from your sin and are now fixed with your gaze upon him. Well, let us uh, come then uh, to 
the Lord's Supper. And we read uh, our warrant for uh, commemorating uh, the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians and chapter 11, and we'll read from verse uh, 23 uh, just to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, let's follow in the example of our Lord and we'll pray together. Lord our God, as we come to uh, remember you, to remember in the sense of looking specifically to now as we think of Jesus at the cross, as we think of all that you have done and all that you are doing for us sinners who have been saved because of your great love for us. Remind us that we are loved here this afternoon. Lord, we thank you. We know we don't deserve it, but we have received your grace, and your mercy has been shown to us. And so help us now to continue to fix our eyes on Jesus keeping our gaze upon you and keeping fighting off the temptation that is always seeking to take our attention. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We read that uh, in verse 24, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
It is uh, lovely to have the children uh, with us. Maybe you can uh, see uh, what I'm about to uh, speak about, even all the way down here at the front. But also for those who are uh, here with us and sitting uh, behind the table. But also I think this is uh, for those of you who are sitting at the table as well. This is what we were using, these individual cups. And it's maybe a little different to what we used to use before. But you know, there's something quite amazing and visual, even using these little cups. Now, we've been speaking about when Jesus was in a garden called Gethsemane. And in that garden, he asked his father by praying, take this cup from me. Can it be taken from me? But Jesus knew he had to be obedient to his Father. And that cup that Jesus had to drink, that Jesus had to take, was to go all the way to the cross and pay the price for all of our sins. And you know, Jesus went to the cross and he drank it to its very dregs. And now what we can see, because we use these wee cups, The cup is empty. Jesus has paid the price for all of our sins. This cup was representing his blood. And as we took the cup, remembering Jesus' sacrifice, we can now see he has paid the price for all of the wrong that all of us have ever done if we believe in him and are looking to Jesus Christ. There was one phrase that we didn't uh, focus on fully yet in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, the joy that was set before Jesus. Uh, We mentioned that in passing, the joy obviously wasn't the cross. So what was Jesus looking forward to? Jesus could see past the cross and into eternity where he would be with the Father and with his people forever. Christian, have you ever thought much about that? That being with you forever is joy, pure joy for Jesus. We may find that hard to believe or process, often as Scottish people, we put ourselves down. Whoever Jesus, I say with reverence, is excited to be with you. For the Christian, there is both joy now and there is joy to come. I just started a new Bible uh, reading plan in January, and it's got an an accompanying American uh, that just explains the verses you've been reading that day. And if you follow it, you'll know it exactly because it ends each day with this phrase, that God is where the joy is. And it's so true. For us to be with God is joy. Day after day. Not just six months after six months at a communion table. Not just Sunday and Sunday. But day after day it is joy for us to be with God. The Christian has a deep-rooted and unbreakable joy now because we are forgiven. 
But the joy of the Christian, it goes even further than having our slate wiped clean. We have a relationship with the one who has forgiven us. We are not just free. You, Christian, are loved. And so as you rise from this joyful mountaintop of gathering around the table with your brothers and sisters and Jesus, go back into the world, your world, full of the joys of the Lord, remembering where the joy is. And as Nehemiah wrote, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so I'm finished. Apart from one final word. I began by saying that most of you have your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Some of you don't. Which means that you are focusing on one of the 50 to 4 million other people or places or objects even right now. Let me ask you two questions and you apply them to your life. And may God ask you them directly himself. Do any of these other things in your life bring you real lasting joy? And secondly, will any of those things bring you joy in the life that is to come? There is joy, real pure joy to be found in Jesus Christ. And he invites you to come. Come to him. Fix your eyes upon him. For he is calling you to himself this afternoon. Amen. Let's close by singing together in Psalm 72. The Scottish Psalter from verse 17. His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him and blessed. All nations shall him call. Psalm 72 from verse 17. And the Scottish Psalter to God's praise. His name
closer the benediction. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide with each of you both now and forever. Amen.